This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equity Mates Media. This series is everything you need to get started on your investing journey. You don't need a lot of brains in this business. Investing in yourself is the best thing you can do. Anything that improves your own Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I mean, I can buy anything I want, basically, but I can't buy time. Welcome to Get Started Investing. In this podcast, we cover all the basics that you need to start your investing journey. Are you joining us for the very first time or is this the very start of your investing journey? Well, before you dive into this episode with us, our feed is designed to go from the very beginning. So we strongly recommend that you scroll up and start at episode one. But if you're feeling brave and just want to dive in, then of course, don't let us stop you. Here at Get Started Investing, we unpack all the jargon and confusing bits, hear your investing stories with the goal of making investing less less intimidating. And we want to have a good time along the way. My name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode and this three-part series on a topic that is on the tip of every investor's lips. Speckies. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, ESG, sustainable investing. Sustainable investing. That's it. Huge topic and a lot to cover. We're going to do this over Three episodes continue on with our series that we have uh, haven't touched on because we've been having a few interviews, which have been really enjoyable. Um, but yeah, over the next three episodes, we're going to be focusing on all things ESG. Before we crack in, we are looking for the best stories out there in the JSI community to help with our Get Started Investing Summer Series. Over summer, we're going to be doing six episodes featuring some of the most entertaining, most rewarding investing stories from the Get Started Investing community, mistakes, lessons, you name it. We want to hear them and we want to give you the guys the opportunity to come on the show and share them with us. You can remain anonymous if you want to. Yeah, we can put one of those voice modifiers on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> dob in a friend, uh, dob in anyone who has a great investing story, good or bad, we want to hear it. And uh, this is your opportunity to be, be involved and have a small piece of Equimates uh, history and memories caked into audio form. <laughs> <laughs> With a sales pitch like that, how could you say no? (laughs) So hit us at contact at equitymates.com or head to our website, equitymates.com slash contact. Uh, Shoot us an email if you'd like to be involved and we'll reach out with further details. It's not going to be scary. It doesn't have to be long, but we'd love to hear from you. So anyway, Ren, the next three episodes, what can we expect in this ESG special? Yeah, so we've tried to break uh, this big topic up into three uh, episodes. So in this first episode, we're going to focus on 
why ethical? Like why people are choosing to invest ethically? What are the arguments for it? What are the arguments against it? Uh, we'll share some of our personal views. Then next episode, we're going to talk about what is ethical. And there's a number of different ways that you can invest ethically. There's a number of different frameworks and screens that uh, different investors use. So we're going to deep dive on that. We're also going to talk about how we can actually find information about companies to determine if they meet our standards of sustainable or ethical investments. And then finally, in the third episode, we're going to talk about what are the options out there? How how can I actually put my money to work? What managers are investing ethically? Um, ETFs, managed funds, superannuation, we'll cover it all. So, uh, you know, it's a big topic and it's a, a really hot topic at the moment. If you're feeling a little bit lost uh, or it's, you know, you don't know where to start, hopefully this will set the, the groundwork for you to really dive deep into it. Absolutely. So without further ado, we're going to be talking about why ethical and that must start with a definition, Ren, around what is ethical investing? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the dictionary definition of ethical investing is uh, it's the practice of selecting investments based on ethical or moral principles. Ethical investors typically avoid investments from sin stocks and companies involved with stigmatized activities such as gambling, alcohol, smoking, or firearms. So that's the dictionary definition. But what we see in 2021 is that a lot of ethical investing is really focused on climate. Yeah, and the impacts that companies are having and their stance on climate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's obvious reasons for that. It is the number one issue for not just investors but for people generally. And, you know, we talk about being ethical consumers and we talk about, you know, making purchases that are aligning with our ethical philosophies and that embrace sustainability if that's something that's important to us. And really, in ethical investing is just an extension of that. It's it's using your money in deliberate ways that don't create harm. Mm-hmm. It also spreads well beyond what the definition has here. You know, they've mentioned gambling, alcohol, smoking, firearms. You've mentioned um, climate change, ESG, environment, um, social and governance. So some people take the approach when it comes to ethical investing is, you know, they want to see more women on boards or they want to see how the p- companies are positioning themselves in society and doing good for society and community. So there's many ways that you can approach and define ethical investing under those environmental, social and governance. And as we go through the next three episodes, uh, it'll probably become clear that ethical investing means different things to almost every single investor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in the next episode, we're going to talk about some companies where that that decision is really difficult. You know, to, to take one, Tesla, from a sustainability standpoint, you, you can't argue that it's it's been one of the most transformational companies in terms of changing our transport infrastructure, moving away from uh, oil and towards electric vehicles. But on the other hand, you know, governance is a question with Elon tweeting mm, things yeah. and getting slapped on the wrist by uh, the US regulators. Uh, you know, there's questions about his treatment of workers when they were forced back into factories during COVID. And so it, it's an ethical dilemma, I guess, how you balance competing factors. And every company has competing factors. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you think about companies that are traditionally probably very unsustainable, AGL is 
operates two coal-fired power stations, in one in New South Wales, one in Victoria. But they're also one of the biggest investors in renewable energy generation in Australia. So how do you balance what they were and what they're trying to become? And so they're some of, I guess, the challenges that we'll unpack over this three-part series. But we're only at the definition stage. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, that's that's what ethical investing is. It's it's investing ethically. Yes. <laughs> nice, nice one. Keep there. it in. <laughs> so Ren, let's set the scene because this is certainly not just a fad that we're seeing. This isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's only becoming a stronger and stronger I wouldn't say movement, but the money is starting to really talk when it comes to ESG and uh, it's been, it just continues to, to set records. So yeah, ethical investing has a long history. Um, Australian Ethical Investments, which is a big money manager in Australia, was founded in 1986, but it really has taken flight over the past few years. The, um, the boys from Comedian V Economist shared a chart with us that we put on our um, social media last week that shows just how much money is flowing into the sector and it's really accelerated over the past two years. And we've got some we've got some stats in terms of inflows. So Bank of America have noted that this is this is from uh, data from April this year. So it's it's a little bit dated already, but um, global ESG equity funds recorded 123 billion dollars US dollars in inflows in the year to date April 2021 which was up 193% from the year before. And to take it like right back to basics, what do we mean by 123 billion in inflows? So that's the amount of money that investors put in ethical funds. They they took it from cash or from other assets and moved it to ethical investing funds. So huge amounts of cash, but also really significant growth, up 193%, I'm assuming, on same time last same year. Same time last year, yeah. Um, in that same Bank of America report, they said so far in 2021, nearly three of every $10 globally have been going into ESG funds. Wow. Yeah. So 30%. So 30% of the money moving into equities, into the stock market or into um, fund managers is moving into ethical funds. Wow. Yeah. So the the funds flowing in, people are starting to really t- put their money where their mouth is or become really interested in this space and start taking a, a stand on ESG investments. So a lot of money is coming in, but where does that stand in terms of total money that is being um, managed at the moment in ESG? So Morningstar estimated that $1.7 trillion uh, in 2020 was being managed by ethical fund managers. So a huge amount, but I think the projections are pretty interesting. So Bloomberg have estimated that by 2025, global ESG assets are expected to exceed $53 trillion. Now, that's a big number, but that number with, uh, without context is just a big number. So that $53 trillion by 2025, and Bloomberg estimate that the total assets under management will be $140.5 trillion. More than a third of the total money invested in stocks and bonds will be invested ethically. 
It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, we've spoken to experts on the show before that talk about there will be a day when we don't need funds labelled as ethical funds because it's just going to be part of everyone's investment process and, you know, everyone will have to factor these considerations in. Mm. So record inflows that we're seeing, record numbers of assets under management, huge amounts of money now um, being managed in ESG assets expected to grow to significant levels even within the next five years. So so what has been the response from the the fund managers that were, you know, that uh, have been traditionally not so concerned about ESG? Yeah, it's they're now concerned. Yeah. And, and, you know, cynically you could say they're concerned because that's where the money's going and they want to be where the money's going. But regardless if you're cynical or you're optimistic and you're saying they're doing the right thing, the fact of the matter is they're doing it. And we've seen a number of the big institutions move to, I guess, implement ethical standards in their investing decisions, probably no more notable than BlackRock. So BlackRock is one of the world's largest money managers. Um, I think If not got, the world's largest? Nah, I think Vanguard's got them now. So Black, really? BlackRock have $9.5 trillion in assets under management. That's it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe Vanguard don't have them. Um, yeah, okay. Um, I'm just Googling it and Vanguard don't have as much. They... They've only got seven. I mean, only is a relative. Rookies. <laughs> Look, BlackRock are either the biggest or one of the biggest money managers in the world. And their global CEO, Larry Fink, wrote a letter to, uh, he, nominally to companies that they invest in, but really to the public, um, basically saying that BlackRock are taking ethical investing seriously. They're going to be releasing more ethical products and they're going to be holding companies accountable and, and really engaging with them and, you know, driving change or they'll be selling their shares. And to their credit, they've really done it. And like, it's very, very clear when you go on the BlackRock website now, the way they all talk, the products that they're releasing, the information that they're providing, like they've really done what they said they were going to do. Yeah. One one thing that I've often dreamt about, well, and I've tried to get up on the show. Here we go, insight into Ren's dreams. (laughs) Is I... We, we hear a lot about this engagement, you know, we're engaging with companies, we're, we're forcing yeah, yeah, them yeah. to do better. Uh, and, and that's all a little bit opaque. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of clear case studies where it's like we're BlackRock on our website, we're saying this is a company we engaged with and this is the change we drove. Yeah. And I've got one example later in this episode um, where there was an activist uh, ethical investor that made a difference in a big company, but it's really hard to get a lot of concrete case studies on that and I would just love it and I understand that there's privacy concerns and companies don't want to be shamed publicly on their investors' websites and stuff like that but I think it would do everyone a service if some of these ethical managers could be a little bit more public with we hold shares in a company that you might not think is ethical here is the change that we're driving and these are the like the metrics that we've set and we've said to the company if they don't achieve these by this date we're going to sell and then it would just be a bit like, okay, we understand. Yeah, I think that'd actually be really beneficial for the company to attract new investors into 
their company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If but, they can just say, invest in us, here's our track record of actually making change. Yeah, yeah. We know that we're starting from a low base because we're in a carbon-intensive industry or because yeah. for whatever reason. But anyway, we digress massively. <laughs> yes, true, true. <laughs> so to sum up where we're at now, ethical investing is the it's probably the fastest-growing area of the market. It, it, it would be the fastest-growing area of the market. Big institutions are taking note. Companies are taking note and really responding, I guess, to this investor um, demand to for, for ethical options. But there's still a debate about should you invest ethically. And so I think let's take a quick ad break and then talk about this debate so people can, I guess, decide what side of the debate they fall on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Ren, you mentioned there before the break that there is still debate around investing ethically, yep. um, the reasons why people would do it, and perhaps, you know, the, the flip side of the argument is um, why, why shouldn't you or some of the reasons against investing ethically. So, let's start with the pros. Okay. Yeah, let's start positive. Let's start positive. Yeah. So, I think there's, there's sort of two aspects to why people choose to invest ethically. The, the first is a very personal reason, you know, if, if people – want to invest in things that they feel good about, they feel proud to own, not things that they feel guilty about. And that, you know, personal aspect of why you choose to invest in certain things is important. Um, the, The debate really here centers around whether ethical investing actually makes a difference. So I think let's focus on that aspect of the debate because people's personal preferences a people's personal yeah, preferences. Yeah, values there's, are your values. There's not a lot of debate that can happen there. Yeah. Yeah, what you feel is what you feel. Yeah. So let's focus on uh, the debate around does ethical investing actually matter? Does it make a difference? And I think the first, the first reason that uh, people give is that if you are investing ethically and you're selling shares in companies that don't meet your ethical standards, those companies are incentivized to change because they want your capital. They want your capital to keep their share price high. Executives are remunerated based on share metrics. You know, like if if you're a CEO, a lot of the times your bonus is tied to hitting share price growth. And um, if a whole chunk of the market is saying you're not sustainable enough or you're not ethical enough, we're selling you, that depresses your share price. And as a company leader, as a company executive, that's not good for you. So, so the first reason is that like it forces action from companies. Yeah. And people might be a bit skeptical as to whether or not this really plays out. And I know you've got a couple of examples there, but this one's hot off the press. I don't know if you saw yesterday what happened at the AGL board meeting. They just avoided a second strike. Just avoided a second strike, but there was also a vote that went to, so firstly, a student climate activist 
who proposed himself for the board oh, of wow. AGL, <laughs> got 2% of the support from proxy votes. Okay. <laughs> Didn't quite make it on, but uh, a significant amount of proxy votes went to him. And the shareholders actually voted uh, against a board recommendation around uh, how they were going to set emission targets for a number of their demerged businesses, essentially saying, we disagree with that completely. You must bring everything you're doing in line with the Paris Accord. And so that really threw the board, who have obviously been saying, no, 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 we need you know, we can't have this as a crash landing. We need this to be smooth. Obviously, there's, you know, AGL being one of the biggest providers of energy here in Australia, uh, are right in the middle of, of this debate. But it was great to see uh, that shareholders really having an impact here with, with the power that they have and the investments they have in the company. Cool. So that's that's the first reason. Great example. Yeah. The, the second argument is pretty closely related to the first, but there's a nuance. So if the first argument's all about it forces internal change in the company, uh, the second argument is that by aggregating all of our money in ethical funds, together that combined weight can really force change from the outside. Money can make a difference if there's enough of it all rowing in the same direction. And, you know, there's a number of examples of this. Um, Probably my favorite one is that Exxon, one of the biggest oil comp- oil and gas companies in the world, um, listed over in the States, uh, there was an activist hedge fund called Engine Number One. Nice not name. Sure, not sure where the name comes from. <laughs> um, but they led a movement and they were backed by a number of you know ethical-focused investors that forced three new directors onto the board of Exxon uh, and those directors uh, have a mandate to reduce the firm's carbon emissions. So if there's internal pressure from the share price uh, set, you know, falling or, or not being supported as much because people are selling shares, and secondly, those that continue to hold shares, if they act together as shareholders, can, can really force companies to change. And just to bring that back to basics, like how, how does an activist actually force force that if you're a shareholder do you have the power just to nominate yourself on the board exactly like your agl example you know every year shareholders as owners owners of the business get to vote on a whole bunch of different things at the company's annual general meeting uh they can nominate new board members they can vote on executive and board member pay and a bunch of other stuff um and so yeah shareholders have a vote and a lot of these ethical funds are choosing to use that vote. Mm, it's great to see. So uh, the reasons we've covered off on the pros for investing ethically, obviously you can align it with your own values. Your money can make a difference. What are the, what are the arguments around actual returns on ethical investments? Obviously, we're in the investing game. We want to see some some returns with the money that we're putting in. Where does that sit when it comes to ESG? Yeah, so if those first two arguments were about making change and uh, money making a difference. The next two arguments are about your personal portfolio. So the first there is better returns. So the Guardian crunched the numbers and uh, over the last 10 years, the average annual return for a sustainable fund invested in large global companies has been 6.9% a year, while traditional investment funds without an ESG mandate have made 6.3% a year. So the returns for ethical investing historically have actually been a little bit higher uh, than 
index or investing, like the whole market. Um, UBS did a survey of 450 institutional investors and found that nearly 75% of the respondents to this survey agreed that investments that incorporate ESG factors perform better than equivalent traditional investments. And, and the time period they were talking about there is the three years before 2020. So there's a general consensus that ESG investments do better. Past performance is no indication of future performance, of yeah, course. Yeah, <laughs> and let's let's call a spade a spade. The big tech companies that have outdone everyone else uh, recently fit in ESG screens because you know they're not that carbon intensive, and you know a lot of them are very well run businesses, and they pay people fairly, and and all of that stuff. And people are going to make them fit. And if <laughs> if you're if you're excluding unethical investments, you're generally going to then be overweight those big tech names and if they keep doing what they're doing you're going to do a little better so that that's probably an important caveat but it makes sense as well if you think about investing in where the world is going and you're excluding companies this is particularly around climate change you're excluding companies that are sort of where the world has been oil companies coal miners and the like it makes sense that you're you're going to do better because you're investing in companies that seem to have more of a future. Yeah, yeah. skate where the puck is going, as they say. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of flows into the, the the final point around investing ethically and that's, you know, it gives you the ability to de-risk your portfolio in some way. You mentioned all those companies that, those sin companies or the companies that particularly in the climate space you know, they provide a lot of risk if you're investing in them. In, you know, there's government regulation that can impact them. There's all this activism that can impact them. You, you know, it, it's a, a tough road ahead for these companies. And so taking a position in them is a risky approach compared to investing in perhaps some of these companies that are really trying to make positive impact on things like climate. Yeah. The risk of owning a oil company or a coal miner these days is pretty large. And, you know, the, the AGL example that we've touched on a couple of times is a great example of that. Like there is there is so much risk over the last five years, 10 years even, there's been so much risk in owning big coal-fired generators because, you know, the energy grid is changing and, you know, coal is struggling uh, in a world of cheap renewables and stuff like that. There's There's a bunch of like stranded asset risk and a whole bunch of different risk there. But if you think about ethical investing more generally tobacco companies companies that make guns and stuff like that like they're they're just a lot more likely to be regulated and you know in some cases regulated out of existence um so the the risk point is kind of it's kind of clear when you think about like what what are the companies most likely to be forced to stop operating or regulated out of existence or just taxed and taxed and taxed. Mm. Yeah. So let's move to some of the arguments against and we'll put some uh, our cynical glasses on. And the first sort of argument that often pops up, Ren, is that it's hard or perhaps it's difficult to tell how genuine companies are when they say that they are taking a stand on ESG or, or making changes within their company, is it just a marketing play to attract investors? 
Yeah, that is the argument, um, both from companies themselves, companies saying, you know, we're really ethical, we're really sustainable, we're fighting climate change, but is that just greenwashing? Mm. Is that just marketing? Mm. But also for the investment managers, the the funds and the ETFs, are they just saying they're ethical but they're not really? Um, and that's an argument that, you know, in some instances has more merit than others, like there's definitely a big range of ethical investors out there, but that's that's one of the, the big arguments against it. And that really flows into the second thing, which is that this whole ASG movement is a marketing exercise to justify higher fees. Absolutely. And you look at uh, some of the funds that are in existence at the moment, and there's no doubt that they do charge higher fees. Yeah and, yeah, and there's a reason that they charge higher fees. There's an extra set of work mm. that needs to go on because mm. you need analysts to uh, come up with the framework, yeah, go and then deep assess on companies. It. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, if if we if we were running an equity mates ASX 200 index, we would Pretty literally go to Standards and Poor, get the index, and every quarter buy and sell a little bit. And then just cruise for, <laughs> for the next three months. Just cruise. That's what but, Vanguard do. Just but cruise. If we were then going to do an ASX 200 ethical index, which we, we've tried, <laughs> we tried on the show we to tried. try to build an ETF uh, on on the Equimates podcast. Yes, yeah. very hard. If we were going to do that, then we would need a whole team of analysts every you know to be running around Australia and digging deep on yeah. these companies. And there's just a, a an extra set of work. Absolutely. So. But but there's no getting away from the fact that they charge higher fees. And, you know, fees can be hazardous to your wealth. Mm. Yeah. And then I think the final argument is that you can say if you're investing based on your values or if you're only going to be investing in companies that are involved in climate change, then, of course, there's an opportunity cost when it comes to could you be making more money elsewhere? That's the I guess the pure economic argument, but of course, if you are investing ethically, it's unlikely that your primary concern is to make money, but it's just, I guess, an argument that some people make is uh, it, there's an opportunity cost. Yeah. And the classic example here, when we talk about uh, opportunity cost, are the tobacco stocks, because you would have thought that the regulation, the tax, the general public discussed um, with tobacco companies would have really hurt them as shares. Yeah. Yeah. But um, some of the tobacco companies, especially in the States, Altria, Philip Morris International, have performed incredibly well. Have they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like incredibly well. Yeah, I hate to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What are we talking? uh, Well, Altria, I believe, is the best performing stock of all time. Wow. Yeah, between 1926 and 2016, they've delivered, I think, almost 18% compound annual growth rate. Wow. Yeah. Uh, do your own research on that number. but And they just pay, like, stupidly big dividends now because, like, there's not a lot of growth in tobacco. Although one of the tobacco companies this year bought, a like, an asthma inhaler company, which is a bit ironic given that <laughs> yeah, what the- you know, they spent decades hurting people's lungs and now they're – Buying asthma. They're like, let's just play both sides here. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the opportunity cost argument. Mm. Um, and then the final, the final argument, and I think core to a lot of the critics of ethical investing, is that they argue it just doesn't make a difference. Yeah. That Exxon is going to keep 
drilling for oil and keep, you know, trying to find new oil or that, you know, we've talked about AGL and their coal-fired power stations, so let's keep talking about them. Uh, detractors from ethical investing will argue that ethical investors didn't make a difference in what's happening with AGL at the moment, but it's actually that the market changed, that cheap renewables flooded the market and that coal-fired power stations couldn't compete on price and um, they started losing a lot of money and that ethical investors themselves didn't actually have any hand in that process. Mm. So that would be the argument. And, you know, there's some there's some pretty big names that don't support ethical investing. We had Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool on the show on Equity Mates and he's not a fan of ethical investing. So there is two sides to this argument. Let's Unless you've got anything more about the argument, let's talk about where we fall on it. Sure. Well, I'm happy to kick it off. Well, I think for me, I am not on. Uh, I'm not at the end of the scale where I am taking active approaches uh, with my vote in in companies that I'm shareholders in, and and really trying to push for change within companies. I'm not there yet. I don't know um, if I will get there or at what point I'll get there. Uh, I'm also not purely investing through ethical lens. So from a, an investment point of view, but I'm equally not invested in sin stocks and that sort of stuff. I, um, but but I think you're for more me- of a sin consumer than a sin investor. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I think for me, and it's great to see examples of it starting to really play out, and really big fund managers now start to take a stance on this. Because for me, in this space, money talks, and if you've got the biggest fund manager in the world. BlackRock, and if you've got shareholders who are now taking meaningful sort of uh, stances within within companies to force change, people will will react to that. Companies will react to that because money talks, and I, and I think it's all heading in the right direction. And I love to see it. You do, you do love to see it. Um, money definitely talks. Uh, I think it's going to take a long time for it. You know the Exxon's of the world, and and the, the, those in the BHPs, and all, all these companies who who are starting to sort of play in this space. But like, are they truly ever going to get to where a lot of people you want see, them to I, get to? I reckon BHP is an example of a company that is moving pretty quickly in that direction. They sold their oil assets and um, merged them with Woodside. Yeah, yeah, Woodside. Um, and I think they've moving out of coal or yeah um and they're instead moving to a lot of the i guess new economy mining the the big ones for me i think it's when you're going to have the the banks and particularly the large investment banks it's when they turn around and start saying we're not going to be taking positions in saudi aramco or we're not going to be taking huge positions in mining companies or oil companies or when we get to that point, I think, you know, we're going to be saying, okay, we've really hit a a point of massive change here. But at the moment you see a lot of these big banks say, oh, we've, you know, we have ESG, we're ESG, but all their underlying investments, a lot of their underlying investments are still pretty unethical. Shots fired. You could say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's your views? So I, I have a bit of personal experience uh, being in the company uh, side of it. Um, so when I was at Coles, I worked in the sustainability team and I felt the impact that an ethical, a, a 
greater focus from ethical investors on Coles as a business had in my team. You know, when I started, there was there was some great work being done in the team. You don't often think about Coles and sustainability in the same sentence, but I'm telling you, you should. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was it was very much a part of the business that wasn't often thought about, and you know, it was it was same store sales growth and you know uh, new formats and um, you know robotics and automation in our supply chain. Like they they were the the big talking points that investors were asking about and that our, the company was talking about. But even in the few years that I was there, like I saw my boss getting dragged into more meetings with investors and spending more time with our investor relations team and our part of the business was brought more front and center. And sure, there was like broader societal reasons for that. Like every company is made up of a lot of people that live in society as well and were becoming more and more conscious of climate change and stuff like that. But specifically, ethical investors were asking those questions that they weren't asking before and the company was forced to have answers for those questions and, you know, we accelerated a lot of things, uh, more renewables, big announcements on like solar farms and power purchase agreements, more focus on waste management, recycling, stuff like that. Y- you could feel it. Y- you could feel the, I guess, the pressure that was coming from external investors and you know, I, I think there's no better example if we stay in the supermarket space. Your former employer, Woolworths, sold a whole part of their business, including one of the best retail businesses in Australia in Dan Murphy's because they wanted to move out of pubs and clubs and, and their exposure to gambling. And Brad, I think Brad Banducci publicly came out and said that there was a lot of ethical money sitting on the sidelines that couldn't invest in Woolworths because of their gambling exposure. And also, Woolworths can now tap green funding markets. Like if they want to raise bonds, like if they want to sell, if they want to borrow money from investors as bonds, they can raise green bonds rather than just standard bonds at a lower cost. Like there's there's clear examples where this pressure is working. And so for me, I feel like this debate – feel like the world has kind of moved past this debate in some ways and I, and I acknowledge that a lot of people will disagree with me and the most uh, negative feedback we ever get about episodes is around ESG because people feel very strongly on both sides and so I'm sure we'll get some feedback. But for me, I feel like this debate has moved. Like yeah. there's too many examples of ethical funds and ethical investors making a difference in terms of what that exact mechanism is and exactly how that pressure is being transferred, being felt, and then being responded to. Sure, there's some debates about that, but I think generally ethical investing makes a difference. You're right. There is no doubt that the train has well and truly left the station. It is now starting to really pick up steam and, yeah, it's a really, really interesting space, but also – as we're going to touch on in the next couple of episodes, one that um, can often be a bit difficult to navigate when it comes to making investment decisions. So we're going to try and help you um, unpack all of that over the next couple. So today we touched on why ethical, we set the scene, spoke about some of the arguments for and against and, and just fit close there with some of our personal views. And next week we're going to be talking about how you determine what your priorities are, how you can find information about companies, um, and then actually call some experts uh, within the Equity Mates network to ask them for their best resource 
for retail investors when it comes to ethical investing. So stick around for that because that's going to be really exciting and important if you're looking to um, add some sort of ethical lens to your portfolio. Just a reminder as well that you can submit any question you'd like through to us um, or send us a message at equitymates.com slash contact or email contact at equitymates.com. And please keep in mind that we are looking ahead to the Get Started Investing summer series where we'd love to hear all of your investing stories, big or small, wins, losses, whatever it may be, we want to hear them or dob in a mate who you think also has a good investing story. We'd love to have you on the show. Come and chat to uh, Ren and I. We won't bite, I promise. But <laughs> Ren, it's been fun as always and uh, we'll pick this up again next week. Sounds good. Get Started Investing is a product of Equity Bates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Get Started Investing are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Get Started Investing acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.